Well, good evening. It's a great privilege and a pleasure to be with you this evening. Uh, and it's a real honour to, to come and to open up God's Word and, and share from it. And I trust that as we do that, that the Lord will speak to us and encourage us and bless us and equip us as we seek to honour and serve Him. The passage that the Lord has, has laid on my heart tonight is found in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. And I want to read just a few short verses from verse 57 through to 61. Of course, today is Remembrance Sunday, isn't it? And it's on this particular Sunday that we remember those who have given their lives in the two great wars in service for this country. And it was just on thinking of that I wanted to, to think about the Lord Jesus Christ and the life that he gave for you and I. But in particular I wanted to do a little character study of some of the men and women involved in that death of the Lord Jesus Christ and in particular his burial. And this is what the word of God says in Matthew 27 verses 57 to 61. It says, as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb, and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. And we trust that God will add his blessing to the public reading of his word. Let's just come before him in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you for the wonderful privilege that we have of gathering together like this and opening up your word. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And every part of it is useful for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness. So that we might be equipped for every good work that you have planned for us to do. And so Father as we gather here under your word. We just pray Father that you would open our ears that we might hear from you. Open our eyes Father that we might see the Lord Jesus Christ. Open our hearts and let them be receptive to what you have to say to each and every one of us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Just five short verses, and perhaps on the surface, you might think, well, there's not very much in them at all. And you could quite easily skim over them when you're reading through this particular chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Maybe in a hurry to get to chapter 28, where it talks about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But of course there are a number of things in this small portion that we could take a look at. For example, the first thing is it's, it's setting the scene, isn't it, for that great day. Perhaps the greatest day in all human history so far to date. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be left in no doubt from this short passage that the Lord Jesus Christ is in fact dead at this point. Romans were experts in crucifixion. We know that from history. They never ever missed the mark. Pilate even had his death confirmed by the soldiers in charge of the crucifixion at that time before he released the body of the Lord Jesus Christ to Joseph. 
And of course Joseph as he was preparing the body in the usual Jewish customs, wrapping it in spices and the linen cloth, would have felt the unmistakable death or feeling of a dead body. That cold, clammy feeling. But yet, just as we think of it, particularly of Easter time, we know that just three days later, the Lord Jesus Christ triumphantly rose, conqueror over death, hell and the grave. Of course, we could also look at, from this short passage here, the fulfilment of prophecy that takes place. You know, the purpose of Matthew writing his gospel was to demonstrate that Jesus Christ was in fact the Messiah. It's written very much towards the Jewish people initially. And of course, one of the ways that he does that is that he details very often in his gospel the Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, although he doesn't mention it specifically in these short uh, verses that we've read, another Old Testament prophecy is being fulfilled. Isaiah 53 and 9 says, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Or if we were being uh, more accurate around the translation of the original Hebrew, it would say something like this, His grave was appointed to be with the wicked, but with the rich man was his tomb. Jesus Christ was given the sentence of a common criminal. He was crucified between two criminals. It was common practice, or it wasn't common practice for the Romans then to return the bodies of someone who had been crucified back to the family. They were usually disposed of in mass, grave, mass graves and there they were left to, to rot and decay or to be consumed by scavenging animals. But just at the point of death for the Lord Jesus Christ, step forward Joseph of Arimathea into the picture. A rich man. Even in his most seemingly helpless and desperate situations, we find in this short passage that God is still in control. His purposes and will to fulfil. Of course we could take the the section here which speaks about a borrowed tomb. In Colossians we are reminded that Jesus Christ created all things. They were created through him and created for him. Yet even in death we find the creator and sustainer of the world had to borrow from his creation. And of course that was the story wasn't it? That was typical all the way through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. At birth he had to borrow a stable because there was no room in the inn. In life he had to borrow homes. He would say foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And of course here we find even in death he is borrowing from his creation. He is borrowing a tomb. And of course we say borrowing because three days later he gave it back. Praise the Lord. But of course that's not all that he took or that's not all that he borrowed from creation. The Bible tells us that he he did no sin. Neither was any deceit found in his mouth. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us though that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Isaiah says the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or as the hymn writer would put it, 
He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. On the cross he had to take my sin and your sin. But rather than giving them back, rather than just borrowing them, hallelujah, he paid the price for them in full. So that if we repent and put our faith and trust in him and follow him, then we are set free because of his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. But this evening I wanted to look rather at the Lord Jesus, particularly in this short passage. I want to look at the other characters in this passage and do a little character study and see if there is something that we can learn from these men and women that we read about in this short passage. And I just want to cover three three points. The first is the courage of those who buried him. The second is the cost to them. And then finally, I want to look at the reward for commitment. The courage of those who buried them, the cost to them, and the reward for commitment. So let's look at the courage of those who buried them. Let's look at this man called Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. What do we know about him? And what can you and I learn from him this evening? Well, we know from Matthew's Gospel, from these passages that we've read, these few verses, that he was a rich man. Of course, the fact that he could afford a new tomb was evidence of his wealth. Tombs were for the rich and famous back in those days, not for for everyone. And to afford a new tomb that no one has laid in, you had to be of some substantial wealth. We know that he was from a place called Arimathea, about 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And of course it tells us here in Matthew's Gospel that he had become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps not very much to go on, but what else do we know about him? Well, the other Gospels record this incident as well, and they give us a little more insight into this man called Joseph. For example, Mark, in his account, in his Gospel, tells us that he was a prominent member of the Jewish ruling council. That's the Sanhedrin. Luke tells us in his Gospel that he was a good and upright man, and he had not consented to the council's decision to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. John tells us in his gospel that yes he was a disciple but he was a secret disciple because he feared the Jews and that he didn't act alone in burying the Lord Jesus Christ but Nicodemus who of course we'll remember from John's gospel also a member of the Sanhedrin helped that night. The Sanhedrin were the Jewish ruling council. Their aim was to get rid of the Lord Jesus Christ by whatever means they could. They plotted his death. They set numerous traps in order to try and catch him out. Eventually, after his arrest, they gave him a mock trial. They beat him and they handed him over to the Romans to be crucified. And when Pilate could find no fault in them, It was the members of the Sanhedrin who stirred up the crowd into a frenzy, demanding that the Lord Jesus Christ be crucified. Yet here we find, in Matthew's Gospel, two prominent members of that council, two prominent members of the Sanhedrin, burying the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Preparing his body in the traditional Jewish customs with spices and wrapping him in grave clothes and laying him in one of their own new tombs. And this at a time when the rest of Jesus' disciples had fled. Why? Well, they were disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, but, as we were reminded, they were secret disciples. And perhaps from the outside looking in we could understand why they were secret disciples. Look at the lengths that the council went to in order to get rid of the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely the fate of Joseph and Nicodemus would have been the same if they openly declared what they thought about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that Joseph didn't consent to the council's decision to crucify Christ, but we do not read that he made this public. Rather, more likely, he kept that to himself. But something has happened. Something has changed in the lives of these two men. Something has replaced the fear that they had of the Jews. Mark tells us in his account that Joseph went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Not in secret, not via someone else, but by himself. Surely he would have known that through time this act would have got back to the council. Surely he would have known that Pilate would have told the rest of the council, yeah, one of your own, Joseph, has come and has taken the body of Jesus. And now we see both Joseph and Nicodemus not operating in secret or under the cover of darkness. It does say in verse 57, when evening approached, and we might be forgiven for thinking that it was dark at this particular time. But we need to understand how the Jewish clock worked. From 3pm to 6pm was the, the first evening. And then at 6pm the new day began or the next day began. So at 6pm on this particular day the Sabbath began. So when it says when evening approached... Then the time of this occurring, the time that Joseph and Nicodemus went to collect the Lord Jesus' body and bury him, must have happened between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock, because the Jews would not work on the Sabbath. So this happened in broad daylight. The Bible doesn't reveal what changed in the minds of these men. Both of them would have been certainly in the house of Caiaphas, the whole council were there when the Lord Jesus was brought before him for trial. Both men would have been in the courts of Pilate, no doubt. They would have seen how the crowd was stirred up into a frenzy. They would have perhaps witnessed the scourging of the Lord Jesus Christ by the soldiers. And they would have certainly have been at the cross or near the cross and perhaps have heard the Lord Jesus Christ say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Whatever happened, they no longer feared man. They were bold and they were courageous. The fear of man had been replaced by the courage of their conviction that Jesus Christ was in fact the Messiah. Matthew 10 and 28, Jesus said this himself, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who can kill both body 
and so you know being a Christian is, is not an easy option is it it's not a popular choice it's certainly not at the top of the list of how to win friends and influence people it requires courage real courage to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ Robert and I have just been sharing coming over in the car about a time where he stood up in front of colleagues and declared his testimony and his love for the Lord Jesus Christ that requires courage and bravery and that courage comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour and Lord these men were courageous even though their actions would have certainly meant that they faced death and yet this was to bury the Lord Jesus Christ how much more courageous should we be on this side of the Lord of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ but what can possibly give you and I here our courage as we face the challenges that living in this area brings to being a Christian in our daily lives where do we get that courage from I look back at the Old Testament and I think of men like Moses and Moses was called to go back to the to the Egyptians and to the people of Israel and to set them free and he said who am I who am I that I should go to Pharaoh little old me Moses I can barely string two sentences together but God responds with this I will be with you I will be with you and as he led the children of Israel out of Egypt and into into the wilderness and as he suffered with them and then eventually passed on the baton to Joshua Joshua again had the same doubts and fears about his own ability to, to live up to the standards of the leader that had just gone before him and this is what God says to Joshua be strong and courageous do not be def- afraid do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go of course David said something similar to Solomon he said be strong and courageous for the Lord even my God is with you our courage comes from knowing this that if our faith and trust is in him we do not go on our own but we go with him his promise to us never will I leave you nor never will I forsake you at the end of Matthew's gospel Jesus Christ gives a great commission to all Christians and he finishes it with these words and behold I am with you always even to the ends of the age our courage comes from not our own ability to do anything but our courage comes from knowing Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord and he is with us wherever we go or wherever he calls us to go but of course it wasn't just the the courage there was also the cost for these men salvation is by grace through faith it is a gift of God it cannot be earned by works if it could have been then there would be no need for Christ to come into this scene in time and go to the cross of Calvary but rather it is a free gift of God by his grace but you know there's still a cost 
to salvation. The Sanhedrin, as we were thinking about earlier, was a supreme court for the Jewish people. They had authority to judge on both civil and religious matters. They convened every day except on the Sabbath day and Saturday or at particular religious festivals. And for both Joseph and for Nicodemus, given that they were prominent members of the Sanhedrin, their position on the council would have played a huge part in their lives. It would have perhaps defined them as men. Who they were, it would have given them a standing in the community. And certainly in Joseph's case, it would have perhaps helped establish or even maintain his wealth. The Sanhedrin and the synagogue were their lives. They would have had the best seats in the synagogue. They would have been invited to dine with the elite of the day. They would have been recognised in the streets, no doubt, by other people. They would have been revered by the people because of their position on the council. In modern day terms, they were two A-listers, two celebrities in the Jewish time. But of course, all that would have changed now, wouldn't it? Now that they have stepped out of the shadows, now that they have stepped out of operating under the cover of darkness and publicly affirmed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, In John's Gospel in chapter 9 and 12 and 16, we read this about those who openly acknowledge Christ. That they would be thrown out of the synagogue by the Sanhedrin. Jesus also mentions that the leaders would think that they are doing a service to God by killing those who confess Christ as Lord. That was for ordinary folk. How much more severe would the punishment have been for these two men who were members of the council? They would almost certainly have been kicked off the council, thrown out of the synagogue, lost their position within the community, lost of respect by their peers and by those round about them, perhaps even shunned by their family, perhaps even faced the threat, the very real threat of being put to death for their faith in Christ for both to follow the Lord Jesus Christ it cost them it cost them their lives the lives they led the possessions they had friends, wealth authority they gave it all up for Jesus the cost of following Jesus for you and I is our life The life that we once lived to self. The life that we once lived in sin. Pleasing and gratifying ourselves rather than pleasing and glorifying God. That is a cost for you and for I. Jesus said, if anyone is to come after me, they must deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. The greatest commandment, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The first commandment is that we will have no other gods before God. The cost to us can be summed up by saying, is God first? Is Christ first 
in our lives? Is he first in our finances? Is he first in our interests? Is he first in our relationships? Is he first in our schedule? Is Christ first in our troubles? Or do we look elsewhere for the solution? You know, we should be able to say along with Apostle Paul, it is no longer I who live, but that Christ that lives in me. The cost of following Christ is for you and I to surrender our lives and to be obedient to his will and purpose for our lives. And finally, let's, let's look briefly at the final point, the reward for commitment. The reward for commitment. It tells us that there are two other people there, not just Joseph and Nicodemus. Very briefly in verse 61, it says Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. We read of course of Mary Magdalene, don't we, in Luke chapter 8, where Jesus healed her from the possession of seven demons. And the other Mary that was here was Mary the wife of Alphaeus, the mother of James and Joseph, James being one of the twelve apostles. This Mary was also the sister of Mary, Jesus' mother. Both of these women were absolutely committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ. We know from the accounts and other gospels that both of these women followed the Lord Jesus from his early ministry days in Galilee. That would have meant that they would have left homes, perhaps family, friends, perhaps jobs, in order to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They also supported the ministry of Jesus and his disciples by caring for them. Luke tells us also in his gospel that these women who followed Jesus provided for him and his disciples out of their means. It means they gave whatever they had, whether that was a lot or whether it was a little, whatever they had they gave to the Lord Jesus Christ in order to support him and his disciples. Both of these women followed Jesus all the way to Calvary. Along with Mary, his mother, and John. And while others sneered and jeered and hurled insults, these two women wept and mourned. And when his own had finally deserted him, these two women remained completely committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even after his death, and everyone had left, we find both of these women still committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, sitting opposite the tomb and watching his burial. They wouldn't have known that Joseph and Nicodemus were disciples, because remember, by this point, both of these men were secret disciples. They weren't openly following the Lord Jesus Christ. They would have known that these men were members of the Sanhedrin, and they are to be there in the same place at the same time as them. They were risking their very lives. But they wanted to see where the Lord's body was laid. Because they wanted to come back after the Sabbath. They wanted to come back in the Sunday morning to prepare his body themselves. That's how committed, that's how much love they had for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, because of their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ 
because they followed him right to the very end Joseph and Nicodemus aside these two women were the only two women that knew where the Lord Jesus Christ was laid and of course it was these two women weren't it that we know returned that first thing on Sunday morning wow what a reward they got for their commitment what a reward they got for their commitment when they came down to the tomb to find the stone was rolled away and of course who did they meet in the garden but the Lord Jesus Christ the risen saviour you know there is a day still to come the greatest day in human history is still to take place it's when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back for all of those who know and love him what a day that will be the hymn writer says when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair when the saved of earth are gathered over on the other shore and the roll is called up yonder I'll be there wow what a reward waits for you and I if we live a life that is committed to the Lord Jesus Christ so let us labour for the master from the dawn till setting sun let us talk of all his wondrous love and care then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done and the role is called up yonder I'll be there I pray that all of us in here will be able to say that within our hearts ourselves that we know of a day that's coming when we will see our saviour face to face and in the twinkling of an eye we'll be transformed and we will be like him and so we'll be with him for all eternity but just now we need the courage to serve him we need to give him the cost by laying down our lives for him and for his will and his purpose because the reward well our words can't describe what that reward are going to be it's going to be so amazing and so fantastic Maybe be encouraged by these words this evening. Thank you. Thank you.